Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, setting up the tabernacle and God coming there to dwell, his presence, his light, and following him. Exodus 40. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. Since I'm writing as I go along, the current study may or may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available to purchase once all of the episodes for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. If you'd like for me to email you whenever a new blog post or a new study comes out, then email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com and I'll put you on the email list. Okay, so now that all of that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. On the last episode, we talked about the priest's clothes and what each piece symbolized. And if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. It does not maybe sound all that interesting, but honestly, it did have a lot of self-application. We talked about bearing the weight of an entire nation on our shoulders and how God takes burdens from us and helps us bear them whenever it's difficult. We also talked about how he reveals his will to us now and then really the rest of the time about what we're supposed to look like as Christians how we're supposed to act, and what people need to see whenever they look at us. So if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. This week, the work of the tabernacle and all its furnishings and the courtyard are finally complete, and the people bring everything to Moses, and he inspected each one of the items that they had made. And he found out that Bezalel and Aholiab and all of the skilled workers had built everything exactly as God had commanded him. And so he blessed them. Now, all this time, it had been Ithamar's job, which is one of Aaron's sons, to keep record of all of the materials that they used to make this tabernacle. And so before we talk about setting the tabernacle up, I want to tell you about how much gold, bronze, and silver they used just to make this tabernacle. And you'll find the account of this in Exodus 38, 21 to 31, but I'm not going to read it to you. I just want to tell you about it. So the first thing is that they used over 2,200 pounds of gold just to make the pillars for the tabernacle and then the table with all its dishes and the lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and to overlay the Ark of the Testimony. And then also they used a little bit of gold in the high priest's clothes. And so 2,200 pounds of gold for the pillars of the tabernacle and then all of the furniture that went in the tabernacle and then a little bit on the clothes of the high priest. But the amount of silver that they used was over three times that. And before the building of the tabernacle, God had told Moses for all of the men that are 20 years old and over to each give a fifth of an ounce of silver as a ransom for their lives. 
And so I want to read you that portion of Exodus right now. It's found in Exodus 30, 11 to 16. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half of a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall give no more and the poor shall give no less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial to the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So it tells us in Exodus 38, 21 through 31, whenever it's talking about how much silver they used, it tells us that when Moses counted all of the men 20 years old and over, he counted 603,550 men. And when each one of these had given the one-fifth of an ounce of silver, then that came up to over 7,500 pounds of silver. And each base for the pillars of the tabernacle was made out of 75 pounds of silver. And there were a 100 bases. And so just the bases in themselves was 7,500 pounds. And then there was about 60 pounds or so left. And they used that to overlay the tops of the pillars and then for the rods and the hooks. And God told them to give this silver as a ransom for their lives. And this was to remind them that their lives really belong to God. And instead of them dedicating their lives to the service of the tabernacle, they gave the designated amount of money for their lives to his house. Instead of giving their service, they gave their money. But this was mandatory. It was a ransom for their life. It was a payment for their life to the Lord. So they had to give this exact amount of money, no matter how rich or how poor. They had to give that exact amount of money because that's what their life was worth. And it says that they had to do this so that God wouldn't send a plague on them. And so they used all of this silver at the bases of the pillars for the tabernacle and the overlay and the rods and everything. And then the last thing that they recorded was the bronze. And they said they used over 5,300 pounds of bronze in making the bases for the entrance to the tabernacle and then the bases and the pillars for the courtyard and the tent pegs. And then remember the bronze altar and the basin were out in the courtyard, both made out of bronze. And so they used 5,300 pounds of bronze for all of the things in the courtyard. And so what that shows is that all the gold was found in the tabernacle. And then there was also some silver used for the bases and then on the tops of the pillars. And then all of the bronze was used in the courtyard. And so again, we just need to remember that this was a costly house. But the reason that it was so expensive is because it held the presence of a God whose value has no measure. And then we get to chapter 40 of Exodus. And I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of it. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And then it tells him how to set it up. And we've already talked about that before. So I'm not going to read the rest of that. 
But they left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. And this is the first day of the first month of the following year. So it's been almost exactly a year since they left Egypt that they're setting up this tabernacle. Remember, this is a tent. And so all the things are built, but they have to set it all up. And so they set up the tent of the tabernacle and the courtyard and then also put the Ark of the Testimony at the back of the tabernacle and then covered it with the veil and then put the altar of incense right outside of that veil in the holy place and then the golden table on the right-hand side and the golden lampstand on the left-hand side. And then they put the veil for the entrance to the tabernacle. And then outside in the courtyard, they set the bronze basin and they put water in it. And then they had the bronze altar. And so they set everything up in the way that God had told them to do. And then they anointed all of the holy things with the anointing oil that God had prescribed for them to make. Remember, we talked about that before, that it's a special oil that God told the exact formula for them to make. And it was only used to anoint holy things. And so they anointed all of the furniture and all the things of the tabernacle with this oil. And they also anointed the priests. And next week, we will talk further about this entire ceremony of anointing the priests and the sacrifices that they made and all of that. But for just now, we're just going to summarize by saying that they anointed all of the things that were set aside for God's service as far as furniture and people with this anointing oil and then put the clothes on the priests and all of that. So that brings us to the last few verses of chapter 40. And I want to read those to y'all. And that's going to be the focus of the rest of this lesson. This is Exodus 40, 34. And it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. And then I also want to read you the account about this written in Numbers 9, 15 through the end of that chapter. It just talks about this same instance, but I want you to hear what is written about it here. So this is Numbers 9, 15, and it says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and didn't journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. 
But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. I know that was a lot of repetitive words, but he was repeating all that because he just wanted to really drive home the point that they followed wherever the cloud went. At whatever time it was, no matter how long it stayed or how long it moved, they followed the cloud. And so I just wanted to read that part to you. So let's go back and talk about those last few verses in Exodus whenever it tells us about the cloud coming to cover the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle once it was complete. So for God to come and dwell in this house that has just been prepared for him is really just the ultimate stamp of approval because he wouldn't have done that if they hadn't done a good job. Moses had already put his stamp of approval on it, but by God coming and dwelling in the house, it gives his stamp of approval also. So that's the first thing that we should notice. And then I just want you to think for a moment about building your own house and all the work that goes into it and the weight and the buildup. And then that day comes whenever, okay, I can go into my house today and I'm going to get to stay here and what that must feel like. And I was just thinking about that whenever it says that God's spirit filled the tabernacle because it's like his presence just completely overwhelmed it to where no one else could go in. And it sounds to me like he was just so happy to be in his house. You know, he goes in and he's like, I'm just soaking all this up. I just want to be in my house and enjoy it. And that again is just tells us how pleased God was with the work that the people had done. And then the cloud of glory covering the tabernacle. This cloud leads them just as God led them in the pillar of cloud whenever they left Egypt the year before. And when the cloud moved away, the people began to pack up the tent and they went wherever the cloud led them. And then when the cloud would stop, they would stop and they would set up camp there. And so it just tells us about how they were following this cloud and how the pattern of God's movements were just so unpredictable. That's what that Numbers chapter was telling us. That's the reason I wanted to read it is because it was like, sometimes we stayed a day, sometimes we stayed a month, sometimes we stayed a year. We didn't know how long we were going to stay. We didn't know how long we were going to move. And just the unpredictability of God's leading in their lives. And he was revealing his glory to them in the cloud, but he was also revealing his will because he was showing them the direction that he wanted them to go and they had to trust him and where he was leading and they had to obey and it just kept saying how they were obeying how they were going where God told them to go when God told them to go and also the fact that there was fire in the cloud at night that's significant also because the fire would give them light in the darkness But it also gave them continuous visibility of God. And so they always knew that his presence was with them. And that must be so comforting to be able to know that God is with you continuously. The people would know that and also the surrounding nations would know that God was with his people. And so they would feel protected and safe in the dark and in the light. What's it like for a child whenever they want the light on at night? It's because they want to be able to see that no one's coming. Well, that would definitely have been a thing for them. And you feel safer that way. And also the other people knowing that God was there made them feel safe because they knew that the people weren't going to come and attack them with God's presence 
so visible. And then also just to know that God was with them was comforting. Again, just like a child, a child is comforted whenever they know that their parents are there with them. And so God was showing them, I'm here with you continuously day and night, no matter what. And this same type of God's presence dwelling with the people and the light and the following is all talked about whenever they refer to Jesus later on too. Jesus shines a different type of light into the darkness, but he shines a light nonetheless. And he was the glory of God that was dwelling among his people, but he wasn't in spirit. He was in the flesh. And so I want to read you a couple of verses that talk about Jesus being the light and Jesus being God's presence dwelling with us. And so the first ones are found in the first chapter of John in verses 19 and 14. And it says, The true light, which gives light to every man, comes into the world. So the first light that it talks about is a capital light. It's calling Jesus the light. It says he's the true light. And it says that he gives lowercase light to every man in the world. And so Jesus is the light. He's the one that shows us the way. And then also verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so they saw God's glory because he was God dwelling among them. And so God's spirit was dwelling in Jesus and he was the physical presence of the Lord here on this earth at that time. They no longer needed a spiritual presence because they had the physical presence of God. Now, the next verse is John 8, 12, and it just talks about Jesus being the light. And it says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus is showing us the way. He's the one that we should follow. And that's the reason that believers are called Christians, because the word Christian actually means Christ follower. And so if we believe in God, we are supposed to be following Christ. I think the word Christian has been watered down just a little bit because now we use that word to just say, I believe in God. But it's a little different to say, I'm a Christ follower. And I think that we might need to start doing that or at least recognize ourselves as that because we need to be following the light, God's presence as he guides us. But since Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore, then he sent his spirit again. Just as he sent his spirit to dwell in the tabernacle, he sent his spirit to dwell with his people again after Jesus died. But he's not dwelling in a house. We actually house his spirit. We're the the house for God's spirit to dwell in now. And that spirit reveals the will of God to us and shows us how to follow Jesus. So I'm going to read you a couple of verses that talk about that. The first verse is found in Romans 8, 9 through 11, and it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he isn't his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it just continues to say that God's spirit is dwelling in us. And then listen to what it says in Galatians five sixteen through 18. 
It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So that tells us that the Spirit is what leads us. The Spirit is what points us to the presence of God and shows us the direction that we're supposed to go. And so we need to be like the Israelites and look to God for direction. And when he tells us to move, we need to move. And when he tells us to be still, then we need to be still. And just as his movement wasn't predictable with the Israelites, the pattern of his movement in our own lives is not predictable. And so we need to trust in him and we need to know that if he hasn't moved yet, then it's because he wants us exactly where we are. And if he moves too quickly or goes somewhere that we don't think we want to go, we have to trust him just as they had to trust him. We just need to know that he is our Lord and he loves us and his ways are good and right. And whether we think we want to go where God leads us or not, we really do want to because we want to be wherever his presence dwells. And yes, his presence is dwelling in us. But if his spirit is moving us in another direction, moving us to go somewhere, we want to go to that place because that is the place that we're going to be comforted. That is the place we're going to be safe. That is the place that we are going to have our father and we want to be in his will. And so we just have to keep reminding ourselves that maybe sometimes we think we don't want to go there. But if that's where God wants us, that's where we want to be because we want to be where he wants us. And so we just have to always make sure that he's visible to us and that if we can't see him, that means we've gotten off the path and we need to just search for him and follow him as our guiding light. That's really the lesson today. I think that's what we need to learn from the glory cloud and from God's spirit dwelling with his people. So take that with you this week. Look to God for direction. Ask him where he wants you to go. Be attentive to the leading of his spirit and trust him. Know that he's trustworthy. Know that wherever he has you is where he wants you. If he's got you being still, then that's what's good for you. And if he wants you to move, if he wants you to go to a certain place, then that's what you want. And so trust him and obey him. Do exactly as the Israelites did. And when he moves, move. And when he stays, stay. That's our lesson today. So next week, we're going to talk about the anointing of the priests and what that has to do with us the sacrifices and what God's teaching us through that. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review. Leave me comments. If you'd like to email me, my email address is Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.